We find ourselves today in the book of Acts, chapter number 23. Let me just share this quickly about the Bible, if I can. The Bible is given to us. It's one book that has 66 books inside of it. Now, 39 were written before Jesus came to the earth, and the last 27 were written after Jesus went back to heaven. And of course, when Jesus came to the earth, it started time all over again. That's why we say it's 2022, after he came. God wanted the whole world to know about his son. People who say, I I don't believe in God. Well, God puts that inside of us. He reminds us of God through creation. When you look around, you see the world, you can say, man, that didn't just blow up and happen like that. There wasn't a big bang at the beginning. That's going to happen at the end. (laughs) Okay? Everything we have, it, it was created by God. Creation reminds us there's a God and lets us know, confirms. Conscience, things that happen inside of you, you know there's a God. Some people say, well, I don't believe there's a God. Well, God doesn't believe in atheists because <laughs> he knows that everyone believes in him. It's inside of us. Consequences, circumstances. Sometime in your life, you probably almost died. And you could probably tell your story and I could tell you mine. We're just like, I don't even know how I lived through that. You know what? It's a reminder that God is in the equation. Sometimes it's consequences. You did something you thought no one would even know, and then it came out. And you thought, I don't even know how that happened. It was God. Even the calendar, the calendar of 2022 is a reminder to the whole world that something happened 2,022 years ago when Jesus came. And that's important. And of course, God gave us Christ to reveal to us himself. And then he gave us his word, the Bible. The Bible tells us of Jesus. There's two reasons for the Bible. Number one is to tell us how to get to heaven from here. If you're listening today, whether it be on live stream, like my friend Maurice is listening from from Tampa this morning, or if you're listening right here in this room, I want to let you know that God gave us the Bible for one main reason, so you could know for sure when life is over, you'd go to heaven. God doesn't want anyone to die and go to hell. Now, there is a hell, and there is a heaven. A hundred years from now, all that's going to matter to everyone who's listening today, and everyone who's living today, is where you live, in heaven with God or in hell without Him. It won't matter what address you had in this world. doesn't matter how much money you have in your 401k. doesn't matter how much money you made per hour or, or what car you drove or, 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 or your accomplishments. They will not matter. What's going to matter 100 years from now is where you live, with God in heaven or in hell without him. And God doesn't want us to go to hell. That's why he gave us the Bible. The Bible tells us how we can have eternal life. The main theme of the Bible is how that sinners like me and sinners like you who do something wrong every day. We think something wrong every day. We we, uh, say something wrong every day. How can sinners and mess-ups like us be reconciled with a God who never did any of that? He's holy. We're not. Well... God's word tells us how we can have eternal life. If you're here today, you're not sure if you were to die. You're in the balcony or you're in the main floor. You're young or you're old. You're a man or you're a woman. It doesn't matter. God wants you to be saved. He wants you to know for sure that when life's over, you go to heaven. And that's why the main character of the Bible is Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. The church is not the way, the truth, and the life. People will get baptized this morning. We'll rejoice with them. But they're not getting baptized to go to heaven. They're getting baptized because they are going to heaven. 
Baptism is not a part of salvation. It's a picture of salvation. It's like my wedding band right here. My wedding band, it doesn't make me married. I'm so fat now, I can't pull it off. You weren't supposed to laugh so hard at that. Now, come on. I can't pull it, but if I could pull it off my hand and put it over here, am I still married to my lovely wife, Linda? Sure I am. The ring doesn't make me married. It just tells everybody else that I am married. When people look on this hand, they say, sometime, someplace in that dude's life, he took a promise and he made a promise. When people get baptized this morning, they're saying, sometime in my past, I took Jesus and his holiness, and I gave him my sin and my wickedness. And we exchanged that. And everybody needs a time and a place like that. And you say, well, if I ask you, when was that for you? And you don't know the time and the place, or you can't remember, it's probably because you weren't there. (laughs) And you need that to happen. And if you ask God, when's a good time for that to happen? He says, now is the accepted time. Today's the day that you need to be saved. And I'm glad for a day when someone was honest with me and they loved me enough to take the Bible and to show me how I could know for sure I'm going to heaven. Having said all that, most of the Bible is for Christians. It's for people who already know Jesus Christ. See, that day I accepted Christ as my Savior. Before that, I knew the Bible. I knew about the Bible. But then the Bible became very interesting to me. The reason why the author of the Bible now lives inside me. When I accepted Jesus Christ, now the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me. And now I have interest. I have the author in in line with me. And whenever I was born into God's family, I got a change in appetite. And you know, when you're born, when you're saved, there's a change in appetite. Uh, You know, a a baby is in his mother's womb for nine months, and it doesn't want to eat anything in their mouth. I mean, you you might see a sonogram where they got their thumb in their mouth, but they're not wanting to put anything in their mouth. But you know, one thing changes that, birth. When they're born, they want to suck on a bottle. They want to start eating orally. You know why? Because they're born, they're born again. They're born. And when you're born into God's family, you also have interest in God. You have interest in a new appetite. What does the Bible say? What does God want me to do? You also have a desire to know your father. Everybody, even if you have a deadbeat dad or a dad who struggled to do his responsibilities for you, it still bothers you that you didn't have the relationship you wanted to have because every, the glory of children are their fathers. They love their moms, but they wanted the affirmation and the relationship with their dad. And when you're born to God's family, you want a relationship with God. God put that inside you. You don't have to manufacture that. If you have no relation, you have no interest in knowing the God of the Bible, you have no appetite for spiritual things, my encouragement is do a checkup from the heart up. Make sure you know you're saved. You don't have to be perfect to be saved, but you ought to have those things. They come with being born into God's family. Well, most of the Bible is written for Christians. We're looking at the book of Acts real quickly. And the book of Acts is 28 chapters right here in our New Testament. Summarize the book of Acts. It really is in chapter 1, Jesus leaves this earth and goes to heaven. He goes up. Chapter 2, his spirit comes down from heaven, and comes inside of people who have believed and received of him. Chapter 3, the people who get saved start talking about him to others. They begin telling others about Christ. Recently, I had, a, had the opportunity to lead, a, lead someone to Christ. And I said, you know, the next thing I want you to do, that God wants you is tell someone. Because, oh, that's no problem. As soon as I get off this plane, I'm calling my daughter. 
I talked to a man the other day and let him have, showed him how to be saved. He goes, man, I can't wait to tell my wife. And you know, there's something, when someone gets saved, they want to tell someone else what happened. And that's exactly what the disciples did. They went out and they told people about Christ. As a result of that, it created some friction. Because when you come to Jesus, when you speak about Jesus, you don't know whether to pucker or to duck, to hug or hide. He's very controversial. When people get mad, no one gets mad and says, ah, Buddha, and damns his name. No one gets mad and says, oh, Muhammad. No, they don't do that. No, when we get angry or upset, we don't say, oh, my Muhammad. (laughs) We say, oh, my God. We say, ah, Jesus Christ in oath. We start summoning damage, and we're talking about the God of the Bible. It's interesting. We, that, of all things we could curse in the world, we curse the God of the Bible. It's one of the proofs that he is who he is. But it's also a proof that we are who we are. We're sinners, and we have an animosity toward him. We've broken up his laws, and we need a Savior in the person of Jesus Christ. But whenever the God's people begin sharing the gospel, it creates some friction and creates some problems. But the gospel changes people's lives. And it changed my life. And I wanted to change yours. And once we continued to go through this book of Acts, we found out that a fellow surfaced, his name is Saul. That's his Jewish name. We know him as Paul. That's his Gentile name. And God sent him all over the world to give the gospel to people. He became, I think, a maximum Christian. He has now been on three missionary journeys. The first one only about 1,400 miles, the second one 2,800 miles, and the next one 2,700 miles, all, for the most part, on foot or on a boat. And he has traveled the world telling people about Jesus Christ. He has made his way back to Jerusalem, where his people are. He is Jewish by birth. He was trained and he was, he was born in a, in a Greek city of Tarshish, moved to Jerusalem to be trained under the law and the teaching of a man named Gamaliel, a very famous and a very, uh, a very gifted Jewish scholar. And, and yet he had an animosity toward God and then he met God on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus face to face and the, the light of the Lord Jesus blinded his eyes and he said this, he said, Saul, Saul, or Why persecutest thou me? He said, well, who are you? And when he found out he was Jesus, he said, I'm Jesus. When he found he was Jesus, the next thing he found out is, what does he want me to do? By the way, once you find out who Jesus is to you, your next question should be, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And boy, that guy lived up to that question. When he found out what God wanted to do, he just did it. Boy, I think your life and my life would be much better if we'll live up to that question too. Some of you, God's told you what to do, and you just keep taking the sidetrack. You keep taking exits. You keep making excuses. Why? Well, you can't do that. You know you were there when God uh, spoke to your heart, and he, he gave you a job to do. He gave you a calling, and you just, you're meandering off. You're, 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 you're going away. Don't do that. Find out what he wants you to do and do it. If you're not sure who Jesus is, you're not sure if you died, you go to heaven, get that settled this morning. But if you know what God wants you to do, to stay on the path, and that's what he did. Now, though, he had come to a very dark place. He had brought seven men that he had led to Christ in, in the missionary journeys back to Jerusalem, hoping to be a great blessing, and it really backfired on him. It didn't turn out the way he wanted. 
Each of those men brought a collection of funds that they had collected in their churches, and they gave it to the church, and it doesn't even seem like they even said thank you. They didn't really, uh, didn't have an appreciation for him and mistreated him somewhat. And he came to this place, and while he was in the temple and kind of following their lead, some men began to grab him and pull him out, and he began to, to, begin to be accosted and beaten because he believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and only through Christ he could be saved. That was what he believed. And he, he had no problems apologizing for that. But they, they began, some cruel people began to hurt him, and the police jumped in and rescued him, and then he was taken by the police. He got a chance to speak to all the folks, but then they were going to beat him. Find out, what did, what did he, what's he doing? And then he found out he was a Roman citizen. He had his papers. It was unusual in Rome. Many people, they say as much as 70% of the Roman Empire did not have their official paperwork to be Roman citizens. They were treated much more, um, much more harshly and with much, much more scrutiny. Well, he was one of those gifted people that had his Roman citizenship. They were getting ready to beat him, and he said, you know, I'm a Roman citizen, you know that. And they said, oh, hang on a second. And they did not beat him and actually began to treat him a little bit more with kit gloves. He went to a court, and we studied about that recently in chapter 23. The Jewish people wanted to, they got a, a quick uh, kangaroo court and brought, had him brought in there, but they, they really uh, didn't treat him right. He said, you got something to say? He goes, well, I, I've lived in good conscience between God and man. And, and, the, and the, whoever was in charge said, hit that guy in the mouth. And the guy turned aside of him and smacked him in the mouth. He said, what do you, what do you hit me for? You whited wall. He said, you're supposed to be someone who's making a good decision and you're having me smitten. All I said is I, I've lived in good conscience between God and man. You're going to hurt me. Someone said, I can't believe you talked to the judge like that and the high priest that way. He goes, well, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry about that. I know what the Bible says. But he told him, he says, look, I'm a, I'm a Pharisee, and I believe in the resurrection, and that's probably why you're going to talk to me. Well, half of the audience believed in the resurrection, too. They were Pharisees. And it really kind of, kind of created a turmoil, and they rescued him out and took him back to jail in the castle. And that's where we find our reading today. Verse number 20, verse chapter 23, verse number 11. And the Bible says, and the night following, after this all, this brouhaha took place and the confusion and the difficulties, and, and now the night, that night, the Bible says the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified for me in, in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. So here the Apostle Paul has just been rescued again out of a crazy mob and a riot. And he's probably at one of the lowest places of his life. He's been low before. Acts chapter 18, he was low when he came into Corinth. And he was low at other times in his life, but he was probably pretty low here. Everything he had thought was going to happen didn't happen. You know, one thing that you and I have to deal with is unfulfilled expectations. There's a lot of things in our life that we expected by now things would be different. How many can raise your hand and say, I, I, I got that one. I, I'm tracking with you. By now you thought, hey, man, things will be a little bit different. And they're the same. Or they're worse than you thought. That happens to us sometimes. Well, he's probably one of the best Christians you'll ever read about. And he finds himself there. Thinking, man, I, I, did, I had pure motives. I just wanted to be a blessing. 
I thought everybody would be happy to know that these seven men came to know Christ and hundreds and thousands of people have come to forgiveness of sin and know they're going to heaven and they're telling other people all in Asia and Macedonia and Greece about Christ. And I thought everybody would be so happy to hear them and especially to get the gifts. And, and instead, it's just kind of been jab-slapped, you know? I've been treated hurt harshly. This is rough. What's going on? And now I'm arrested again. Just been about pulled to pieces a minute ago, and, and the Lord shows up, and he tells him, hey, Paul, be of good cheer. He said, you're going to testify. You've testified. You've done your job here in Jerusalem. I'm going to let you go on to Rome. Now, Paul always wanted to go to Rome, not to see the Colosseum. He would eventually die there. He would have Nero take his head off and kill him there in that city. But we can read the book of Romans, which I believe he had already written. He already told them, I can't wait to go to you. I want to impart some spiritual gifts to you. I want to help you. Because many people he had led to Christ had ended up in Rome and they had started a church. He wanted to go see them. But he says, you're going to testify in Rome. And the Lord gave that to him. And, you know, I want to say to you, if you have difficult, dark, frustrating seasons of your life, let me just tell you something. God's there. He'll be there. Somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. At the darkest times of your life, the most frustrating things, he'll be there. When you lose someone that you love, he'll be there. When you get negative news about your health, God is going to be there for you. You'll find he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he showed up with, he showed up with Paul. He said, Paul, I know you're overwhelmed, but be of good cheer. Smile. <laughs> it's going to be okay. You're going to go to Rome. So whatever happened from that moment until he got to Rome, he knew. Now, it wasn't easy. Matter of fact, the next day, it got even more crazy. But he had an encounter with God. I want to encourage you, friend, wherever you are in your life, trust God. Plead for his presence and enjoy his presence. By the way, this is one of the reasons. Now, you, you, if you get saved, Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. It's his promise. The Holy Spirit comes inside and he will be with you forever. So you cannot lose him. You can grieve the Holy Spirit, but he never leaves you. He can be grieved, but he doesn't leave. When he comes in, he saves you forever. But knowing his presence is a different level. Have you ever been to a party or a gathering where you were there, but you didn't feel accepted? You felt like you were in a crowd, but you were by yourself. You're like, I don't think they really want me here. Well, join God's Spirit in my life and your life sometimes. He's here, but we don't acknowledge Him. He can't leave, but He just is not comfortable with us. Well, that's kind of how, the, that's kind of how uh, God is sometimes. But know this, He'll never leave you. But one of the reasons you want His presence, and the way you get His presence, I believe, is by being a gospel witness. He says, when you go out and tell folks about the Lord, he said, go into, and, you, and you preach the gospel. Lo, I am with you. How long? Always. He says, he says when you're faithfully getting the gospel, I'm going to give you my presence. I find also that when we learn to read and listen to God's word, when you begin to hear God's word, God's presence rests upon you. It teaches you the fear of the Lord. When you learn to honestly tithe. I believe this is in Deuteronomy 14, 22 and 23. It's an Old Testament passage of Scripture, but it tells us how God was thinking. He said, I want you to take a penny out of every dime. 
A dime out of every dollar, a dollar out of every ten dollars, a ten dollars out of every hundred dollars. And every day, on the, every Sunday, on the first day of the week, bring it to the house of God. And when you do that, you're going to find that God's presence is going to be with you. It will teach you the presence and the fear of the Lord. And boy, I think you say, Pastor, does, you know, listen, let me tell you something, friend. God doesn't need my money. He doesn't need your money. You can take your big bucks and take it wherever you want to. He doesn't need our money. But he wants your attention. He wants, he wants to be with you. And part of that magical thing, in my opinion, I say magical loosely there, spiritual thing, is that when I hear God's word, when I faithfully witness for God, when I, and, and when I have the opportunity to honor the Lord with my substance, that he exchanges that for his presence. And I find Paul here, he experienced the presence of God on his life. However, it doesn't take away the challenges. Look at the next thing that happens, if you would, please. And by the way, if you think, oh, man, if I just if I accept Christ and I live for Christ, I'm going to have a smooth life. No. That's not the way it works. Okay? There will be a rest for the people of God, but it's not here. <laughs> if you get aggressive about the things of God, the devil's going to get aggressive with you. The world is going to get aggressive with you. I heard about one guy giving a testimony on a, on a testimony service. He said, man, I tell you what, the devil's been giving me all kinds of problems. He said, now that I love the Lord and I'm trying to please the Lord, I just feel like I'm getting satanic opposition. And the guy gave his testimony publicly. And after the church, the guy came back and said, you know what, buddy? I've heard you give that testimony. The devil's giving you all kinds of trouble. He doesn't give me any trouble. He said, that's because you're going the same direction with him, buddy. <laughs> you guys aren't going against each other. But the world system, the flesh, the devil are all against what God wants me to do. And that happens. Let's look and see what happens. It's kind of a unique thing. The next morning, so the Lord appears to him, verse 12, And when it was day, certain Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying, or an oath, that they would neither eat or drink till they had killed Paul. Now that was, uh, 40 guys got together and said, you know what? We're, we're not going to eat and drink until we exterminate this guy, till we assassinate him. I'll just tell you this real quickly. Once God says he's going to Rome, uh, these guys are going to starve to death, okay? <laughs> it doesn't matter how strong you think you are, how smart you are. If you're against God, your arms are too short to box with him. These fellows said, you know what? We're, gonna, we're not going to eat or drink until we kill that guy. And they went to the priest, the high priest, that were crooked as a dog's hide leg. And they went to them, and, and they found them. and said, look, here's what you do. Tell the chief captain to bring him down. You've got another day in court. You've got to figure out some things, some more things about what happened. Bring him down tomorrow. we got me and 39 other guys. We're not going to eat or, eat or drink until we kill him. We'll attack him. I know the soldiers will be around him. It doesn't matter. We're going we're to be kamikaze. We're going to kill him. And they said, oh, good idea. Rather than fight for, a, for honesty and truth, they said, oh, yeah, that's what we'll do. It's interesting, though, that wherever you see a problem, you see the providence of God. You know, when you, when you have a problem, when there's something going on, it looks, it looks hopeless, this sounds terrible. Forty guys to kill one guy, they don't care what happens, they're not going to eat until they do it. Look what happens next, if you would, please. Verse number 16, and when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, heard of their plot, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. This is interesting. 
Paul has a sister. If you look at Romans chapter 16, there it looks like a lady's name is Junia. Verse number 7, I think, in Romans 16. I believe that's probably his sister. She, they're probably a wealthy people. But uh, she lives in, in, in Jerusalem there. They were raised in Tarshish. But, and uh, his brother-in-law and, and his sister, Junia. We don't have this man's name. But his ne- her, her son. I don't think he was a little child. I think he was probably a young adult. Maybe an, an upper teenager. But the word was on the street. The 40 guys couldn't keep their mouth shut. They were saying, hey, we're going to kill him. We can't wait. We're going to get to him. We're going to get the guy down here. We're going to what? And they were talking around. And it came to his ears. And he went to visit his uncle Paul in jail. He had been given opportunities to have visitors. So he said, hey, Paul, there's 40 guys out there, and they're bragging on the streets. They're going to let you out tomorrow, go to court tomorrow. They're going to kill you. And Paul said, well, hmm. Now, he already knows he's going to Rome. But he does have to exercise some discernment on the journey. By the way, I'm going to go to heaven one day. I don't know when. I hope it's not on the next train, but I'm ready to go when it comes. But in the meantime, in the meantime, there are needs for us to figure out what to do with each situation that comes. Aren't you glad to have the Holy Spirit? Aren't you glad to have the Word of God? You know, some people don't know what to do because they don't know the Bible. Some people don't know what to do in difficult times because they don't have the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. But Paul said, okay. So his nephew said, Paul, they're going to kill you tomorrow morning. They've already asked, the, they have asked the, the chief captain to bring you down for court one more time. They're going to act like they're going to learn some more information, but they're going to kill you there. He said, uh, I don't know what to tell you, but this is what happens. Well, let's see what happens here. Look at verse number 17. Then Paul called one of the centurions, one of the men who oversaw 100 uh, uh, soldiers, unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. Of course, there's been all kinds of confusing things happen. The chief captain, the soldiers are no doubt confused. They want to keep peace in Jerusalem. Uh, for, the, for the sake of the Roman Empire, and now it's a very volatile. They know that something's, there's undercurrents of problems, and they don't want to get uh, Caesar's attention. So they're trying to keep peace in Jerusalem there, but they know there's something going on. He said, take this boy over to see the chief captain. Look at verse number 18, would you please? So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me unto him and prayed, him, prayed me to bring this young man to thee who has something to say to thee. And chief captain took him by the hand. He said, come over here, bud. I went with him aside into a private area, privately. And they asked him, what is it that thou hast to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed and desired that that thou wouldst bring down Paul uh, tomorrow into the council, as though they would inquire somewhat somewhat of him more perfectly. They want to get a thorough thorough interrogation. But do not thou yield to them. For there lie in wait for them more than 40 men, which have bound themselves in an oath and have um, and neither to eat or drink till they have killed them. And now they're already looking for a promise from thee. Probably no doubt the chief captain had already got that invitation. So now things are starting to line up. He probably has already been asked to go ahead and do that. And now he's hearing this guy tell me that. I said, yeah, I did get that request. And he tells the young boy, he tells this, his Paul's nephew... Let the young man depart, and he charged him, he challenged him, he said, See that thou tell no man what thou, thou hast showed these things to me. He said, Go out and don't say a word to anybody. And that evening, the chief captain, and for sake of time, I need to conclude. 
but he ordered the centurion, two centurions, two guys who oversaw 100 Roman soldiers, 100 spearmen, 100 soldiers to, to come and get, get ready. He brought them there. He said, I want you to get 70 uh, of the cavalry. Get 70 guys who can ride a horse. And at 9 o'clock at the night, we believe, while under, the, under the nighttime, he got them all together, and they marched out of the city of Jerusalem. They closed the gate, and they took off to Caesarea. Caesarea was the port city where uh, the Roman the Roman leaders were. At the time, a guy named Felix was there. We'll learn more about Felix in the, next, in the next time we look at this passage of Scripture. And Felix at one time was a slave. But his brother Paulus got into government, and they appointed him, and he was cruel, he was selfish, he was an idiot. But he uh, married three times, according to historians, but uh, he married a Jewish lady at the end. And Felix is going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ at the voice of Paul many times. And you're going to come at a great conviction later. And you might remember when Paul was called to serve the Lord, he said, he is going to be a witness unto me before kings and before magistrates. And God is putting all this together right here in this passage of Scripture. And at night, Paul, it's interesting, he is surrounded by 470 armed men. One guy in the middle, and he gets to ride a horse. I don't know about you, I like to walk, but I would rather ride a horse. <laughs> I don't mind walking, but if I'm going to go from here to Cherville, I'd like to get in a car. I'd like to get, you know, it's interesting that God protects his servant, and he does it overboard. 470 people watching out for one little guy, one little bald-headed Jew in the middle on a horse being protected Surrounded by God's protection. And he finds himself, and he gets over there to, to Felix's place, and he stays in a somewhat of a plush jail. And he can get visitors back and forth. He, can get, he has lots of liberty. And the Lord lets him stay arrested for, for the rest of his life with the potential possible of just a little thing. It's a beautiful thing what happens when God stands with you. When God stands with you and you have his presence, you also have his protection. And you have his provision. Isn't he a wonderful God? Worthy of our faith and our trust. Let's pray together, can we? Thank you for listening today.